Welcome to the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast. Today, we are very excited to have Dr. Julia Rutledge, who's a clinical psychologist from the University of Canterbury, New Zealand. How are you, Dr. Rutledge? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your morning. I know you're on a Wednesday morning and I'm in a Tuesday evening, so this is it's always a lot of fun to be in different uh, days. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, you have a really interesting job and what you do. Would you mind telling us a little bit, of, first of all, how you actually uh, became interested in clinical psychology? In clinical psychology? Uh, well, I just, I think like lots of people who go into those fields in mental health are because they want to help people. I mean, that's the sort of thing that you think about when you're in your early 20s, that naive thought of, oh, I'll just go into something that I'll help people. Um, and so I was quite attracted to clinical psychology. I, as with anyone, um, most people have got some level of mental illness in their family um, members. And so, you, you know, I've certainly been touched by people who have been, who have suffered greatly from mental illness. And so I knew a lot about it, even as a teen, a young adult, teenager. So I decided to pursue that topic and go into that as a as a career. So um, I applied to the University of Calgary and got in. It's actually quite a competitive program in, in Canada and um, spent five years there doing my master's and PhD. So graduating with a degree in being able to go into an academic role or into clinical psychology. And so I decided to go into an academic role which I certainly don't regret. There's um, when you're at that crossroads of deciding about what do you you want to do? Do you want to do clinical psychology and see patients or do you want to go into an academic role where you do research? It can be quite a a difficult decision to make, but I'm really, really glad that I did it because I think I help and, and touch far more people with the work that I do as a researcher than I ever would one-on-one. So I, for me, it's been a really, really good decision. Now are you originally from New Zealand or from Canada? I'm Canadian. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay, so you're living yeah. in New Zealand. How did you end up in New Zealand? So I was at that crossroad point after having done a postdoc at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, and um, my husband and I were just looking to go somewhere far, far away where you could speak English <laughs> so, uh, to look for a job, sort of. Um, so we, uh, so within a week of having made this decision of, oh, yeah, let's go somewhere far, far away where they can speak English and one of us can get a job, the job in New Zealand came up, and it was um, – Look, they were looking for a child clinical psychologist to work at the University of Canterbury and to teach and do research. And so, um, I mean, it was an appealing, certainly an appealing job. I, I, they flew me out here, and I um, fell in love with New Zealand right away. And um, we accepted the job. Didn't know how long we would stay here for. You know, thought maybe a couple of years. And then um, we're still here 17 years later, and have two children who are um, fully, um, you know, full New Zealanders. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So your family must miss you terribly back in Canada. It's hard, but I, I come from a family that is um, that's traveled a lot. My parents were English. They moved to Can- they emigrated to Canada, and so I have. I'm from a family of four. I have one brother in the states, one brother in Canada, and one brother in the UK. So we all seem to have done sort of a similar level of traveling far, far away. So not as far as New Zealand. But I've just. I mean, I've just saw my 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 brother. My oldest brother um, over the weekend, Easter weekend, so he was in New Zealand. So nice. they do make it out here, and we get to Canada every, almost every year. Wonderful. So tell me, no, so you have an interest in nutrition and psychology. Can you tell us how that kind yeah. of came came about? 
yes, that's an, an unusual story. So um, I was trained quite conventionally, as most um, clinical psychologists are, in that, and I say that in, in, in the kindest of ways, but that diet and nutrition were really not a part of the program that I went through, nor would they have been part of any program, and nor are they actually part of programs at the moment talking about nutrition and diet. So I was essentially, I went through at that time in the 1990s where um, when my area of research is, is, um, is was in my PhD was ADHD, and then I did my postdoc in ADHD. So I, I can speak directly about that. It was a time when stimulants were could do no wrong. Um, they were the research showed that they were um, incredibly effective at changing. ADHD symptoms. There had been the studies in the 70s and the 80s questioning the use of um, saying, well, we should remove uh, food additives from 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 food or or look at um, elimination diets like the fine gold diet. But I went through at a time where that was really dismissed and that that was not a good way forward looking at the diets and it was it was seen as really insignificant relative to the treatments that were currently available, which would have been you know stimulants like Ritalin. So, um, so that's the sort of training I got, which was that diet really doesn't play a big role in the expression of mental illness, and I believed that for a long time. Um, but it was in the time when I was in um, uh, Calgary, sort of at the end of my PhD, my PhD supervisor, Bonnie Kaplan, uh, she was approached by some families in southern Alberta, Canada, who were using nutrients, so they were using uh, vitamins and minerals to treat serious mental health conditions. So they had members of this family had um, bipolar disorder and psychosis and depression, and they were claiming that they could um, completely eliminate the symptoms just with nutrients. And so she at first saw this as snake oil and told them to go away, but they presented her with some interesting data. And and Bonnie, I have an unbelievable respect for her. And she, you know, just as all scientists should do, and they should never, ever ignore data, and they should never not pursue something because it completely contradicts and contravenes the current way of thinking. And so she modeled that to me, and I model that to my students. And it's that even no matter how crazy an idea is, if it seems if people appear to be getting well, let's let's look at it. Let's do, let's do the research. Let's see whether or not there's any um, legitimate you know claim to what they were saying. And the um, what was I going to say? Um, so so that's what she did. She ended up looking at some some cases uh, of people who went from being on medications who had severe um, uh, psychiatric conditions and then added in the nutrients and then found that not only did their symptoms decrease over the six-month period that she was following them, but they could get away with a, a better symptom profile alongside a lower rate of use of medications, which is really fantastic because we all know that some of the medications associated with taking you know, for, for bipolar disorder or for depression can come with a serious adverse of, um, side effects. And so to be able to show, demonstrate improved symptoms alongside reduced use of medications was really quite remarkable. So um, so I heard, you know, I, I, I was intrigued and 
um, by these early studies that she was publishing. And um, I decided to study these nutrients. At the end of the day, I was, if we're honest about it and we look at the data, we look at how well we're doing for people with mental illness, we are not doing a good enough job. I mean, sure, some people get better with medications and certainly people benefit from psychotherapy, but there's a high percentage of people who are not responding to these treatments. So it's our role as, and it's our duty as, a, as researchers, as psychologists or whoever, whatever profession you come from, to, to explore other options so that families have a choice and have a greater range of choice outside of what is currently on offer. So I thought naively went into it, thought, oh yeah, I'll just do some of these these trials. And I did not realize what a difficult journey that would be. And so it's been a long road of of, frust of a lot of resistance and criticism and um, challenges at every step of the way of doing the of doing the work that that I've been doing here in New Zealand. That's amazing. So these were families. Did they? How did they come up with this? Does this idea yeah. of using nutrients? I'm curious. Right. Um, they well, it, it's an interesting story. Are you ready for it? Yeah, <laughs> for yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, um, they, they, these families. Um, uh, the, well, t there's it's t there's two 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 members of the family of two it's two families really. Um, Tony Stephan is the father in one family, and then David Hardy is this, the father in another family. And Tony Stephan was the one whose family was afflicted by lots of mental illness. His, he had many children, a number of them had bipolar disorder. He has, his wife had recently committed suicide. She'd had bipolar disorder. Her, her father had committed suicide. He had bipolar disorder. So he'd married into a family with, with a lot of severe psychiatric illness. And so he happened to be talking to David Hardy, um, who he just met, actually met, and he decided to tell him about the, the, these challenge, you know, the serious challenges he had in his family. That his daughter was was constantly hospitalized, and you know, using conventional medications was simply not having any impact whatsoever on her illness, and she was getting worse and worse. And so um, David Hardy said, "Well, I don't know anything about bipolar disorder and what you're describing." But it sounds a little bit like what we see in animals when they get um, when they get really irritable. They get um, you know they, they bite each other and they can they 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 get um, they develop very unusual behaviors. And the way we treat it in the in the animal uh, literature is to give them nutrients, broad spectrum micronutrients. And so very well known in the animal field is that you give. Um, Animals that are behaving erratically, you give them a broad spectrum of micronutrients, and that just alleviates the behavior that they're observing. And so Tony thought that this was a good um, avenue to explore. He had, you know, the, you know, he'd explored everything when it comes to conventional medication. They were just adding more and more medications on, and it wasn't making any, it wasn't, certainly wasn't making life any easier. So he decided to try the nutrients and it, with his children. So it was one of those interesting, intriguing ideas. And um, they did a lot of research and they looked at the science and they looked to see what nutrients had already been studied for their treatment of mental illness. So by then, in the, this was in the, I think in the mid 1990s, there was a lot of research on single nutrients. So we did know things about say B12 and the, the impact that B12 can have on, on um, psychiatric illness or niacin or, you know, they've been individual nutrients that had been studied. 
so but they they decided to go with a, a broad spectrum combination and um and 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 adopt it for human metabolic use and gave it to the kids and the kids did very very well and they continue to do very very well 20 i think we're close to probably 20 25 years later so um so that's an unusual story and you can see why Bonnie was um, initially not that keen to to do the research on it, but she, you know she decided to to do the research. The families are dedicated to ensuring that research gets done. They are nonprofit. They don't want to make money out of this. They simply want to um, they they want to change the world. So um, so that's the formula that I started studying back in uh, 2006. It, it was um, the, the name of the formula at that point was called Empower Plus. Uh, it's very important, though, that I'm not here to sell it, and I've always done my research independently of the companies. And so we have um, always fun, um, received funds from grants or from independent sources, and never received any money from these companies. So I'm at a, you know arm's length. They don't they don't tell researchers what to do. They behave very very differently from the pharmaceutical industry, in that they they just let the if you have an ethically approved study, they will provide it on a placebo for free, and they will not ask any questions. They won't interfere with the design of your study. They won't um, have any impact or any any requests to read the study before. So the first time that they hear about the impact of the the nutrients have had on you know in your study is when the study comes out and is published that's the first time that they learn about it so that's the way they've chosen to go and so there are other researchers um, in other parts of the world who have used these same the same combination of nutrients so that's a very long answer to i didn't develop it i just study it i'm a psychologist <laughs> not a I, I have no background in in pharmaceutical you know pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals or how to put together minerals and vitamins in appropriate combination and balance um that's what they've done and i i've simply i i decided that you know um if lots of people take supplements there's a you know it's a billion dollar industry billions of dollars are spent on on supplements most of them have absolutely no research whatsoever to back their claims and so um i think that one of the things that we can do as scientists is to provide some evidence base of some of these products that are out there so i haven't only studied empower plus i've studied other products as well as well I've studied some that are are, are um, more local are to Australasia. We've studied probiotics, so we've you know we dabble in lots of different things. But for the most part, I've sort of stuck with that original Canadian formula because it's actually produced such good positive results. And so there's a point where you think, well, why would I study something else that you know even though I I don't have an allegiance to this company when there's really no other product like it out there? Um, why would a most supplement in uh, manufacturers wouldn't develop a product that could only be small, uh, sold to a very small market. You know, they they make far more money selling to the entire population than to the mentally ill. So most people are not interested. Most companies are just simply not interested in developing products for that po population. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, I, astounding. Actually, I mean, you just never hear of these type of things. It's incredible. Um, I'm curious when you when you said you your studies. Can you tell us a little bit about the studies and what you've actually found in your own experience with kids and using these type of supplements? 
Sure. So, um, so I started as anyone really should if they're about to embark in a totally new area of research. Was we started with case studies and then we went into open label trials. So, um, open label trials that is everybody receives um, the the nutrients and you just observe them over time. So you might take about ten to fifteen people and observe what happens over time. So we we studied um, the the first trial was looking at. Um, adults with ADHD with mood dysregulation. That was the first um, target population for us. And that was that study started in 2007, I think. It took a while for me to get that one through ethics and all of the other hoops that I was forced to go through. Um, so, and we published that one in, I'm trying to remember, this is a long time ago, maybe 2009, 2010. That was our first open label trial. And it was really quite astonishing, the changes in these, people's lives and the improvement in mood, the improvement in ADHD symptoms, um, the improvement in anxiety. These had, The people who entered this trial had a lot of other co-occurring disorders uh, alongside ADHD. And so what was I learned very, very early on in observing people taking these nutrients was that when people get well, um, they seem to get well across the board. Like we see things like, um, you know, re reduced anxiety, improved sleep, a reduced use of, of addictive substances. So we saw some people who would just stop cannabis use during the trial, and they'd been daily users up until then. It's, um, some may know that uh, people with ADHD often use cannabis as a way to self-medicate, and he just felt he had no more need to use this cannabis anymore. So we actually published this him as a case study to show the on-off that he was, you know, when he was taking the nutrients, he, he reduced his cannabis use, and then when we took him off, because we've done on-off types of studies where we put people on, we take them off, and we observe whether the symptoms return, and then on, and then off. So um, he, we, we, we documented this very nice um, change in his use of cannabis and cigarettes as he went on and off the nutrients, that as he was on the nutrients, he stopped using them or reduced use, and then he came off he then had to go back to using cannabis and cigarettes. So so we've observed those types of changes. Um, mood definitely seems to regulate itself on the nutrients. We've seen that over and over again. It's just this calming, um, better able to handle stresses, um, just better able to cope um, are some of the things that we've observed over time. So I don't think it's a, it's a, it's certainly not a treatment that's specific to any disorder, um, we can, you know, some people still seem to have some ADHD symptoms. We don't, in that we don't um, dull them down. They're still energetic people, and I think that's fantastic that they're still energetic, but that they seem to be able to manage and cope with their symptoms a lot better. Um, and they do seem to be able to concentrate better than they were when they weren't taking the nutrients. But we don't, like, we don't have that impact on them like stimulants do. So it's not that absolute, I hate to use the term, but zombieing that you hear about children, we don't see that. We still see very um, normal behaviors. You know, they can still get excited. They can still have ups. They can still have downs as life comes along that you, you know, good things happen. You feel great joy. Bad things happen. You feel sadness. We still see that range of emotions with the nutrients, but they're just so much more controlled and they're just so much more regulated um, than they were before the nutrients. So we've, um, 
So we we then I, I then launched a randomized control trial, which is the kind of trial that you have to do in this world to have anyone believe what you're doing. Um, and so we we launched after those really amazing results that we saw with the open label trial with adults with ADHD. We we launched an RCT with adults with ADHD, um, randomizing people to either the nutrients or placebo. And so we published that study a couple of years ago in the British Journal of Psychiatry showing really robust effects um, of the nutrients on not only ADHD behaviors, but also um, showing that people who had entered the trial who were depressed, that they were more likely to recover from their, their depression if they had been randomized to the micronutrients um, and then as compared to placebo. We also showed a very, uh, we followed them over a longer period of time. We followed them up a year later and we found that people who stayed on the nutrients maintained their changes or showed further improvements, whereas those who had stopped or had switched to medications actually showed a worsening of, of their symptoms. So we were able to show that actually people, if they stuck with the nutrients, they did tend to do better than people who had had either stopped or had, had gone on to, in the most part, people had switched to stimulants. It's really sad when that happens, and it's not because necessarily that they didn't respond, although for some people they didn't respond, and there are people out there who do not respond to the micronutrients. Um, but oftentimes it's the cost, is that in New Zealand, Ritalin is covered, antidepressants are covered by our public health care system, nutrients are not. And so it's often the cost that makes people switch to medications, and that's always a very, very sad day for me to hear people who had done so well on nutrients go to medications, not necessarily have confer the same level of benefit, and then they're experiencing side effects. We don't see side effects with the nutrients. What percentage so, of people did you see improve? Um, so, yeah, in that, in that study, it was about half. So 50% were either identified as much to very much improved in that very, in an eight-week period. So that's, that's not, a, that's a, you know, that means that, there are 50% of people who are not responding as well. In that 50% who don't respond, there's about 30% who still show a mild response, and then about 20% who don't show any any change whatsoever. We're not making people worse, which is you know good news. Um, so so the, the the you know when you go into a trial with with us, you tend you, the worst that's going to happen is that you see no change. Um, and um, there's a you know there is a very very good chance that they will improve. So. 50% is what I'd say is the very good, you know, if you, you took a population, you're likely to see 50% show a really robust change in their symptoms. It doesn't mean there aren't, it's completely resolved, but it means that their lives are in a much, much better place than they were before. The, for me, though, the eight weeks is just a starting point. And when, again, when we've observed people over time, we find that they really do need a longer exposure in order to have the full effect. So eight weeks is only giving us an idea of a sort of the start effect for some people that as you follow them over a much longer period of time, like when we do these one-year follow-ups, people who we thought were doing really well at eight weeks are just so much better at a year on. And they just describe that that eight weeks was really just the beginning of their journey on using the nutrients and the recovery from mental illness. And it really does seem to get better over a much longer period of time. So very different experience than if you're on medications. What uh, exactly, which, you know, you had mentioned ADHD, but which other mental health diagnoses have you seen improvement with? Yes. So um, in the midst of that, or of that, um, 
RCT, that very first RCT that I ran, we had earthquakes in, in New Zealand. So I don't know if you remember hearing about the Christchurch earthquakes back in 2011. Yeah. So, or 2010, 2011. So, um, so not what I wanted to become was an earthquake researcher, but most people who live in an earthquake zone do become earthquake researchers at some point. So we had observed that we had a, an earthquake in 2000, in September of 2010. It was, it was a seven point, I can't even remember on board, in it anymore. So I think it was a 7.1 and it was located just outside of Christchurch. It was, it was a very, it was one of those very lucky earthquakes that happened in the middle of the night. There was no, no deaths. No, there was some damage, um, but certainly not to the extent that we experienced down the road. So there, so I, I took the opportunity, though. I mean, it was quite a, still it was quite a scary time because it was a, we hadn't ha ever experienced earthquakes in Christchurch. And so we had this massive earthquake, and then we constantly had aftershocks. So just every, you know, you'd have about 20 to 30 aftershocks that were at least, you know, um, a four or five over every day for really weeks on the end. And those are really quite uh, unnerving. If you've ever lived in an earthquake zone, they, you know these large aftershocks happening, especially after having had that big one. So people were on edge. They couldn't sleep. They were stressed. So I decided to look at the people who were taking nutrients just randomly, like as a part, they were part of one of our experiments, and just to see how they were doing compared to people who weren't taking the nutrients, just because again of where they were placed in the experiments. So you, you, we couldn't, we didn't choose when the earthquake happened. But there happened to be people who were taking nutrients in our experiments, and then we had a group of people who weren't taking nutrients because they maybe they hadn't started one of our experiments. So we had a good idea of what they were like before the earthquake. And then we followed them up after the earthquake to see how stressed and anxious they were. And what we found was that people who happened to be taking micronutrients at the time of this earthquake because of where they were in one of our experiments recovered much more quickly from the stress associated with the earthquakes than people who weren't taking the micronutrients. It's a remarkable thing. I mean, the, 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 the message here is if you're ever going to be in an earthquake, try to take micronutrients beforehand. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, because it, it definitely, these people recovered far more, a lot more quickly. So, um, so when the February earthquake happened, which was far more devastating, 185 people died in a, you know, there was a building that collapsed in Christchurch, and we're still recovering from this earthquake six years on. And there were ongoing aftershocks. It was much more, it was a shallower earthquake. It was a much more violent earthquake. It was really, a, a, it changed the, the landscape of Christchurch and really changed the lives of people who live here. What I decided to do was um, to run a, run a randomized control trial, not a blinded one, but an RCT, to look at whether or not what we had observed in that September earthquake we could, re we could replicate in the general population. So we found people who were very stressed, and it wasn't very hard to do to find a group of people who were very stressed, and we randomized them to different doses and, and slightly different formulas to see whether or not that had an impact on their stress and recovery on, with this earthquake, even though there were ongoing earthquakes all the way through the study. So it was conducted in April of 2011, and we went on until June, and we had some really large aftershocks during that time. So it wasn't like the, the ground was steady during this time. But what we found was that people who had were taking the nutrients, that they they did do much better than people who were not taking nutrients, and so um, and so we showed um, that the rates of say for example post what, what we described as probable post traumatic stress disorder reduced from 65% down to 19% 
just with a one-month intervention with these micronutrients, whereas those people who didn't take nutrients showed absolutely no change in that rate. So to me, that's a remarkable change. And it just, I mean, it essentially says that if you, you know, if a population is enduring a, a, a natural disaster that's affecting the entire population, giving people micronutrients would be a really cost-effective way of assisting the entire population in recovery. We replicated that finding after a flood in Alberta, Canada in June 2013, and we showed the same thing was that if you give a broad spectrum of micronutrients, lots of B vitamins, people recover much more quickly than if you don't um, give, if they don't receive that level of, of, of micronutrient support. So, um, so that's another yeah, another study we've done, and then now we're just we've got so many research studies going on in my lab. We've got a study we've just finished one with ADHD children because we had we did a pilot study with children with ADHD showing good benefit of micronutrients, and so we're just finishing that one up at the moment. Um, we've we've just finished a study looking to see whether or not um, we can help people with addictions like cigarette, uh, trying to help people quit smoking with nutrients based on that case study I was describing. Um, we thought, okay, let's let's run a big RCT. And so I had a PhD student, um, Pip Newton, who came along and wanted to do a, a study. And so she she did a, a ran a, a really large RCT to investigate that. And she's just analyzing that data at the moment. We, we another another thing that we've observed in women is that they report to us that their PMS gets a lot better on the nutrients. And so we've run another study, which is just again wrapping up at the moment. Um, looking at the um, broad-spectrum micronutrients versus B6, because B6 is, is, um, has been shown to be helpful for the treatment of PMS, and we wondered whether or not giving more vitamins and minerals, more in, you know, in balance and combination, would have a greater effect on PMS symptoms. So that's another study that's just about to be completed, and there were a bunch of launching new studies. Um, we're looking at maternal depression, so we're looking to see whether or not women in pregnancy who are depressed, whether or not giving them nutrients um, can help with depression, given that at the moment they really have no good choices when they are depressed during pregnancy. So we've just started that specific trial, and we've got other ones in the, wow. in the, in the works. <laughs> I mean, that, that's such a broad spectrum of diseases that you're looking at. Um, I'm curious. That's right. Do you, is the formulation the same for everyone or are there specifics that you change yeah. to the population? Right. No, for the most part, it's the same. And so, um, and that, you know, there are, I know there are some people who would say you really need to be quite specific around the nutrients that you give for, say, depression or what you give for anxiety or, you know, this, or, or what you give to aggressive children, whereas we've given the same approach, the same broad spectrum shotgun type of approach to everyone. And it's, for me, it's a starting point mm -hmm. in that we're trying to put this idea of using nutrition on the map for the treatment of mental illness, because as I, you know, I, as I was describing before, it's really not, it was just, it's being dismissed. It's not being seen as valuable. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, people are always, um, astounded or they are not even astounded they'd be surprised or skeptical when you tell them that you can cure mental illness just with food and there's such a resistance to that idea and so what I'm trying to do is really just put it on the map mm -hmm. we are running the types of trials that you cannot ignore we're doing them independent of the companies that make the products we've got no financial ties we've got no conflicts of interest and we but we are running our studies like a drug study mm -hmm. in that we are using the micronutrients and comparing them to a placebo 
if you're doing that type of study, it's very hard to individualize the treatment. So it's very hard to say, well, we should be doing, you know, taking this particular combination for this disorder and this particular combination for people who present with a slightly different variation of disorders. So you can't do that with an RCT. It's really hard. And so I, I accept the compromise, which is that we may do even better if the if the formulas were more targeted, say to their, I mean, to their genetics potentially, to their, you know, addressing their microbiome issues, a whole host of other things. But we accept the compromise in that what we are trying to achieve is to put this on the map, mm-hmm. and to say this is a viable and reasonable way forward. It, we do it without medications. No one in any of our trials is on medications, so you can't say it's a medication effect. None of them are on medications. Mm-hmm. We want to put this on the map. We want to be able to show that this is a good option for families to pursue. Um, and we want to um, get people to start, stop seeing medications as the only way that you can possibly treat serious conditions. Wow. So that's sort of, so I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but it's not that I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not dismissing the value of potentially individualizing a treatment to a, per, a specific person. And I know some people really think that's the only way to go. That might be why we have 20% of people not responding. It might be why there are some people who show a, a small response, but not the full response. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be that some people do need more targeted, uh, individualized approach, but that's not what we're, we're, we're trying to achieve something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So you're monitoring the behavior and not so much looking into actually where in the brain those those nutrients are targeted. You're just saying nutrition actually changes the behavior. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're, we're taking the approach that you, you need a whole spectrum of micronutrients. Right. Um, so, so that's what they're, they're getting. So what you would get out of food. I mean, we're, we are if, – if my research is used in a way of saying people should eat better, mm-hmm. I'm happy. That's mm-hmm. great. Yes. Stop eating processed foods. Start eating whole foods, real foods, fruits and vegetables. Um, all, if it has that impact, I'm delighted. I'm over the moon. Right. Um, because it, these nutrients are contained in real foods. These are things that, that we would you would be consuming more of if you went from a processed diet to a whole food diet. Absolutely. Right. Although the nutrients are in levels that are probably higher than what you'd get out of a daily diet. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the, and and the, the rationale behind that is that maybe we wonder whether or not some people with, with mental illness may need more nutrients than what they're getting out of their food. Mm-hmm. And so they are giving, we are giving them a very, um, you know, some good doses, not mega doses, but higher than what you'd probably get out of, a, as you, you know, a daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, do people, do all people need that level of nutrients? Probably not. Um, but there may be some people out there who do need that extra boost than what they would get out of their food for lots of reasons. I mean, our, unfortunately, our food quality of food has gotten worse over time. Agricultural processes, use of herbicides, pesticides, all of those others, you know, they, not remineralizing the soil, all have an impact on the quality and, and nutrient density of our food. Right. So, um, so even with a healthy diet, there may be some people who need more nutrients than, than what they're getting out of a, a good diet. Uh, do you do any dietary intakes of them before or after? Like, do you see that they they actually, you, you said they migrated towards yeah. healthier behaviors? Do they migrate yeah. towards a healthier diet? 
Um, we do collect that type of data more, again, because we want to control for that effect because we don't want to be, you know, people to say, oh, well, the reason why they got better was not because of those nutrients that you gave, but because you know, they, they had a healthy diet to begin with or they changed their diet or those types of things. So mm-hmm. we actually can tr- take that, we collect that type of data to, sh- to control for it as opposed to use it as a something that they're changing. We, we're very careful to not talk about diet as part of our interventions, obviously for the very reason that we don't want them to be manipulating diet and so therefore we don't know why they might have gotten better. So we, we're very careful about not talking about diet. Uh, it's hard to... It's hard to um, come into our lab, though, and not think that diet is probably somewhat relevant. But um, you know, it's a study on nutrients, so there are we have very educated, you know, educated parents and families who come in who, who actually already have a really good diet. So we have um, families who are coming in because they're, they're some of them are seeking alternatives. They don't want to use medications. Although we have some some families who are very very low income families who have already been through the system, have tried medications, nothing's worked, and so we are the last resort. So we get a very big mix of families. But over the 10-week period that we follow them in an RCT setting, we've found that diet doesn't change substantially over that time. Mm, A few families, it is a rare, it does happen in a few of our families, but for the most part, people don't change their diet. Because, you know, we try to ensure that they don't, they don't, um, can down the study, so um, uh, so that's that's a, that's overall a good thing. But if they then take the the you know the the ex off the experience of seeing the impact of nutrients on their children, some parents will say, "Oh my God, I didn't realize how, what an impact diet has," and so they often go off and explore and 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 start to to change diet in their children, and that's that's fine. We're, we're delighted we have that impact. What can, are you able to share with us what your formulation is? I mean, I, I remember mentioning somewhere I watched some when I did some research for you on you. Um, Thirty six nutrients or micronutrients in the formulation is yeah. that still told true or? Um, the the one that we've studied um, more recently, we still study Empire Plus. We we still have a couple of studies. We have a sleep study going using Empire Plus, and the PMS one I described was using Empire Plus. Some of the other studies, though, is now using another formula that's called Daily Essential Nutrients, and it's not made by that, that original company. The company, over the years, split into two companies, and so we have used the different products that they've made. Um, I mean, for the most part, they're more similar than dissimilar, but there's some tweaking and changes that have occurred over the time. Like, for example, they use now methylated um, B12 and methylated folate, which is um, you know, viewed as a positive change overall. Um so it's uh, the one that that we've just used for the children with ADHD is 48 ingredients. Oh, wow. So it's gone up a little bit more. They've added vitamin K in there. They've got a few, you know, just a few more nutrients and um, amino acids that they've thrown in. So um, there's no secret to it. It's you know it's on every bottle. You can purchase it in in the states and off the you know off the internet. So there's there's no secret there. But I also don't like to be seen as a as a as a, a pill pusher, and yeah, a, right, right. You must you must take this formula for benefit, because there are other formulas out there that have been studied for the treatment of say stress or anxiety or autism that are slightly very you know they are a bit di- different in the in the nutrients that they use or the doses that they use, but for the most part, 
they're again they're mostly more similar than dissimilar mm -hmm. there's only so many vitamins and minerals that you can you can use um so the ingredients are all widely available on their websites so what what has this done for you personally so you've seen all of these changes has has this affected you personally and how you raise your family or what you've done or do you take this up yeah I'm curious uh, right so I mean it certainly has the impact when you when you study nutrition and nutrients even though we're my focus and my research is on obviously on supplementation and I've got two, you know two boys who are now um, close to, close to being teenagers I, we are very careful about what they eat. Absolutely. I mean, they know, they think psychologists are people who tell you about nutrition. So that's <laughs> actually, no, I'm probably unique that you will probably not find very many other psychologists out there who talk about nutrition. Um, but that's what they think a psychologist does. So, um, so we're absolutely very careful about um, ensuring that they get a very healthy uh, diet, low in processed foods. Um, you know, low and try to reduce the sugary drinks, even though that's sometimes hard to completely control um, and ensure that they have very healthy intake of, of lots of fruits and vegetables and you know, organic meats. And, and in New Zealand, we're lucky. We have much better fed animals than you do in, in the U.S., so grass-fed as opposed to grain-fed. Yeah. So there's... Um, so... Uh, um, it's definitely had an impact in terms of what I eat and and um, how we live our lives. Yeah, that that is fascinating. And so, has anyone? I mean, when you th when they talk about the supplements, no, pharma you know any pharmaceutical company has come and said we're interested in your research or come and I mean, have they has anything like that happened or reached out to you and say hey, you know maybe we want to address this with a different type of drug or anything like that. Right. Um, no, that hasn't happened. Probably because of where I live, because I'm in New Zealand. Okay. I think um, New Zealand is, under, well, a lot of things that I've been doing have been going under the radar, which is nice because I've been left alone, whereas Bonnie in, in Canada was unable to do the research she wanted to do because she had such a horrible time with Health Canada. Um, and then I know that there's, there are researchers in the States who have really wanted to do this research as well at, at Ohio State University. They have managed to do some but they've had challenges of trying to find um, grants and to get funding for the work. And so the funders um, have been uninterested in funding this, this type of work and so that they've struggled at that level. So I've been under the radar doing this work here in New Zealand about 10, you know, over 10 years now, now starting to get some really good international attention. But, but it's been quite nice to be just doing it without people coming in and, and, and um, getting, you know, concerned about what we're doing with these these nutrients. So, no, it hasn't happened. Big Pharma doesn't have a big hold in New Zealand. Um, the, we've got a system. Uh, it's called Pharmac. They negotiate very low prices on drugs for New Zealanders um, that, as far as I understand, uh, farm, the pharmaceutical industry is, is really not that keen on negotiating and with mm. In New Zealand because they seem to do quite well at getting uh, lower prices but then we're also a lot slower at getting new drugs as a consequence of this so we tend to intend to often be a few years before some new drugs come in um, so no I, I have approached some um, pharmaceutical uh, companies that make nutrients so like for example Bayer make a, a good product Baraka that we've stu we, we studied as part of that earthquake study that I described 
Um, and they also make a pregnancy um, nutrient combination called Elevit. I don't know, it probably goes by a different uh, name in other places. So that's so Bayer's a, a well-known pharmaceutical company. And I've approached them to if they would give me the micronutrients for free mm-hmm. and a matching placebo. And I've, you know, in, for the for the Baraka stu- the study, they never even replied to me. They never got back to me. So I ended up just purchasing it for the purchase for the for the purposes of that study. And then with Elevate, they just said that they just weren't interested in in in, a, in providing it to us. Mm-hmm. So that's the response I've had. <laughs> they're just not interested, actually. Um, I mean, for nutrients, for, for most companies, they're not interested in doing the, having the research done because they don't need it. They, they sell their products just fine without having research behind it. So actually, a lot of companies are not interested in um, having their products studied and potentially found to not work. Ah, that's true. Whereas the Alberta company, they, they have such confidence in their product that they are very willing to take the chance and have anyone study it. Anyone out there who's a researcher who wants to study it, they will, they will work with you. They're, they've just, um, uh, they um, there's a, a group, a, a coalition in, in Europe who have just gotten a huge amount of funding from the European union. They're going to be studying the same product that we've been studying. And, um, they're very willingly just sending it off to Europe. Um, no problem. They're happy to do it. So, so they are having researchers in different places. Australia, they were hoping to use the same product, but unfortunately, they didn't get funding, so they didn't use it at the end. But they they are very open. They're very open to people doing research. Whereas other companies, I just haven't had the same experience. And, and it's not. And I, as I, you know, I did approach Bayer in that instance. Other companies have come to me to tell me about their products and say, you know, there's the, you know, we've got this amazing product, and I go back to them and I say. Where's your research? Oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't have any research or they, they budge around that answer. Mm. And I say, I'm happy to study it if you give it to me for free and with a matching placebo. And then I remarkably, I just never hear back from them. So, so, you know, I just, there are, you know, there are some other companies who I think I could definitely work with, but they're really far, if few and far between who are willing to have that level of we will um, trust you to do the science and do the research right. and find what you will find. I mean, it sounds like it's probably from where the Alberta company came from. I mean, they came from a need from their own families and, hence, yes. you know, their very intentions are very different. So Exactly. So very, very unusual company. They've had a lot of criticism over the years, mm-hmm. um, they, a lot of negative press, and they continue to sell their products because they believe in them and people benefit from them there. And um, it's, it's unfortunate how much negative press these families have gotten, but they have, and it's, it's not surprising. Right. So. Absolutely. What's the name of that company? Is it okay to share? Um, yes, sure. Um, so the original company, they, 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 they felt that they were offering people true hope as opposed to false hope. So they sadly called their company true hope which is something that as a scientist, I would, you know, love them to have a slightly better name, but that's the name they went with. But as I always like to say is that I can't change their name and they can't change what I do. So, um, so that's, that's the, the name that they went with. And, um, but then, and then the company split and the second company is called Hardy Nutritionals, slightly more conventional name. Hardy Nutritionals? Hardy Nutritionals. That's the one that makes the daily essential nutrients. No, I just think it's, you know, it's worth having 
you know, I'm a big fan of obviously a, a, a whole food diet, um, particularly a plant-based diet. And we've had the same experience, my own experience with people coming off depression medications, anxieties improves, sleeps improves, mm -hmm. besides mm -hmm. the fact of reversing diabetes and all sorts of things. So, yep. I mean, right. it's, this just is just one added layer of proof that you're, you're absolutely on the right track. Um, my own clinical experience. So, but, uh, I think this is fabulous. I think, you know, um, you know, may give some other people some alternatives to the Ritalin and the side effects that we've seen in kids, you know, weight loss and, you know, loss of yep. appetite and, you know, and yep. not only that though, you know, the reason I actually went into studying nutrition as a physician was a kid mm -hmm. that came off ADHD meds in 30 days changing their diet. So, oh, is that, yeah. Okay. So, um, it's, it's or the power of seeing, I mean, that's certainly for me, seeing people get better in that first trial that we did and, and just people walking into my office, you know, two, three weeks later and just telling me how much better they felt. And I was like, really? Just with nutrients? No, that can't be possible. And then person after person would come in and telling me how great they were feeling. So it, it changes your life when you, you hear that. Um, yep. And yep. it makes, it's what, what keeps me going despite the adversity and the, despite the, the ongoing challenges and difficulties is the families that we change and the emails that I get from all over the world telling me what a difference our research has made for them. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely concur that diet can certainly have as, as um, dramatic changes as the nutrients would. And if you can change your diet alone, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Some people mm -hmm. might need more. So yeah, we've absolutely. got to <laughs> That's fascinating. Well, I'm, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, and I really want to thank you again for spending your morning with me um, halfway My around pleasure. the world. And um, I always like to acknowledge people when they come onto the podcast to say thank you for everything that you're doing to help people get better and well. And uh, for those who can't say thank you and that you might have touched that you will never even know, you may not receive an email, but I'm sure that you will touch a broader audience. My audience tends to be an audience that's very receptive to this type of message. So I'm very excited yeah. to, to share that with them. And uh, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for interviewing. So.